Games on the Table, a podcast about board games, card games, and tabletop war games. Welcome back to another episode of the On the Table Gaming Podcast. And today for our talk, we're joined by Brett Lanfer. Uh, I think, you know, a man by this point that uh, I think we can safely say needs no introduction. So thanks for coming on, Brett. Hey, thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. You know, a few things we're going to be talking about today. But first, uh, if you haven't been paying attention, there's been a lot of Martell news going around. Uh, so Miniac did a live stream showcasing the contents of the starter set. And that was fantastic. Uh, Brett, were you able to get it to, to see that at all? Yep. I briefly stopped in. Um... I was a little bit obligated with some family stuff I had going on, of course, just the daily routine with family life. But I did I did make it a point to stop in and check out the game, see how the interactions were going, see how the game looked. And uh, yeah, it was it was pretty neat to watch. It was it was crazy to see the the orange guys, something something really new and fresh. Uh, and it, it looked like a pretty looked like a pretty decent game they had going on Two really, really, really nice gentlemen uh, playing each other and. Yeah, it looks like they're having a lot of fun. And I felt bad because, uh, you know, speaking of things, so I was away on vacation last week. And uh, so I was like out in the middle of nowhere, you know, huddled up in a corner with my cell phone on like my 5G. I got to watch the stream, I think almost all of it, but I was watching in like 160p resolution. So it was like kind of fuzzy blurry and like cards were popping up and I could like had to like really carefully look to see what they were saying. So big, big shout out to Patreon supporter Calvin, who, who came through big time and, and took screenshots while he was watching and sent them to me and... Uh, and all that sort of stuff. But it, I mean, it's really exciting to see the game getting this kind of exposure. I'm really looking forward as we're going into this sort of next wave of A Song of Ice and Fire, like where we might be headed. Uh, and we've also been really fortunate to be able to help Simon showcase some individual unit looks for Martells. So big, a big thanks to everyone who is checking those videos out. And one of the things that keeps getting asked uh, is what is the release date for the Martells? As of right now, that's TBD. So you want to look for articles on CMON or the Song of Ice and Fire official Facebook page, and there'll be things shortcoming about like when these will actually be officially releasing. You know, the only thing I think that's coming up, I think for the US, it's August 26th, I think is the official release date for the Castle Rock Honor Guards, Vermeer Sixskins, and the Golden Company Swordsman. Uh, and I was able to get a, a, a copy of Vermeer Sixskins at Gen Con, one of my locals was out there. Thank you, Josh, and uh, picked me up a copy. So now I'm really excited to get him on the table because he looks fantastic. Yeah, I stopped by Shane's booth and grabbed a copy while in between one of my games. And I unboxed it and just kind of set it on display for everybody who was interested to come have a look. And he's definitely pretty cool. He's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, free folk. Oh, wait. We, we got to we'll, we'll do free folk maybe at the end. We'll circle back. But oh, my gosh. Uh, the, the amount of animals and cool stuff free folk have, I'm just, I'm always just over the moon. Like it feels like every release is like cooler than the last. So, but um, going back to Gen Con, that sounded like it was a really great experience. And, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into Gen Con, right? And especially you that you're going there, not only as someone who's going to Gen Con itself, which is a huge convention with thousands of people, um, but it's also something where you're going as a competitor. So what was it like going in and playing in the A Song of Ice and Fire Nationals tournament? Uh, this year, uh, I felt a ton of pressure this year, actually. Um, I've been saying it for a little while, but I think as the game continues to age, as Discord is kind of bringing the worldwide community together, as the interest in the game peaks, and these gaming clubs are really banging into each other and playing some really tough competitive stuff against each other, the skill gap in this game has really closed. So going in and, and seeing some people that I know from Discord and knowing that we had some international presence with Carlo, who is uh, a known tournament winner in England, and, and he shows up, you know, you've got Chris Tran's group, the Sunday Slaughter guys, and 
guys from pretty much all across the country are there. And it's just like there weren't going to be any easy games. And it was very obvious just from seeing the guys that were there, seeing what they were bringing. It was tough. And that's not to say it's been less tough in previous years. But again, as the game continues to age and things are known, metas develop and people are exposed to what's really, really working through social media, you see really tough stuff and they're 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 experienced into playing some of the tough stuff so there's no real surprises with a list that i can bring because they've already had that exposure and they know how to work around it so it was there was a lot of pressure going into it and uh that doesn't mean that that there was no fun because it was a ton of fun and everybody was having a really great time and i was really happy to see uh representation from i think every house was represented so far as i know and then seeing some really top-tier play from Baratheons and Starks, who are kind of considered 2021 underdogs, but seeing them compete and win lots of games, it was really cool to see. So when I go to conventions, I feel like there's so much to take in, and it can be a little bit overwhelming, and people who know me, I, I personally have a terrible memory and with so much going on. Was there a moment... Uh, at this weekend at Gen Con that you think you're going to remember like going forward in like the long term, like something that really stuck with you could be related to the tournament. It could be the overall convention or other experiences related to it. Uh, the camaraderie at this one was was even stronger than before. And, and in particular, um, Michael Chanel and Fabio had their presence known uh, intimidating presence, if I dare. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but actually, instead of intimidating, they brought a lot of positivity. It was great to see those guys circling the tables, observing the game that they designed and worked so hard on, seeing it being played out, seeing this faction representation. Um, and speaking with Fabio and Michael, they were both elated that Free Folk and Baratheons were the two most popular factions because in 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 some in some opinions, you know, they they're considered you know an underpowered faction, and so to see them there in mass and competing so strongly i think it was like a proud parents looking on at their creation because they were in the last version of the game 2021 they were considered you know towards the bottom and now in season one they're doing so well so that's exactly what you want right you want to equalize the power levels so there was no clear hey this is the best faction everything everyone fought hard there were wins from every faction we had tons of representation so outside of them being there observing the games it was really cool after the finals event on saturday i had gotten with fabio and and asked him what they were doing for dinner and fabio and michael invited everyone out to dinner everyone who had participated and wanted to come so we ended up having a table of i want to say like 10 people and we all had dinner with the developers we had a little bit of talk about the game it was just really really nice to feel like we were bonding with those guys and it just reminds you i think sometimes fabio and michael in particular get lost in the Simon, I think in a lot of people's minds, I, Michael and Fabio are Simon, but they're not. They're right. They're people, <laughs> they're employees, they're working for the company. They do what they can, but it was nice for them to have that very human element uh, because uh, it's easy to get starstruck when you're around them because they're such cool guys and that this game is so <laughs> brilliant. The, the game is so brilliant and they seem so much larger than life because they brought it together. And so it's really cool just to level with them and eat some chicken wings and have some burgers with them. It was great. And what's crazy to think is that, you know, not too long ago was the, you know, it's been five years of A Song of Ice and Fire with the Kickstarter and it being out there. It's a half a decade. And, you know, speaking also just to Fabio, someone I'm very fond of, I think, in that, you know, he started as a as a developer and now he's moved up. And with the most recent 
release of the Martells, people have noticed on the box, it's a game designed by Michael Chanel and Fabio Curry. He's got his name on the box. He's moved up. So it's just been so crazy, like how far this game has come and how much has, has grown and that we're at its, its ninth faction here with the Martells. And so I thought maybe what we could do is jump in and talk a little bit about the Martells. Uh, there's a lot of information coming out. It's slowly getting teased out in different areas. There's been some things that have been leaked out. There's a lot to digest. And I thought maybe today we talk a little bit about our first impressions of the Martells, but maybe not at large. Let's maybe like narrow the slice into maybe some of the units, but maybe around the idea of Doran Martell as a commander and give some kind of first thoughts and kind of talk through and explore some of the stuff we're seeing here. How's that sound? Sounds great to me. I'm excited. I think almost everybody's excited. I'm excited about these guys. So yeah, let's let's jump into it. And I guess before we do that, are are the Martells as a faction, is that something that's maybe like on your plate as in like, yes, you definitely want to play them? Or maybe are you more looking forward to playing against them? Where is that kind of fitting in your heart here? <sighs> I, I have to play them. I have to. <laughs> um, there's so much control. There's so much control and so much trickery. Um, they... They just remind me of like Lannisters and Tyrion, and they are just so cool. <laughs> and that was kind of, was that your first love? I feel like when we first started talking, there was a lot of talk about Lannister. You're running Tyrion as a commander. Yeah. It's just going it's, full it, circle here. <laughs> yeah. Tyrion was my first love, and I've actually circled back to him a little bit here lately, and I've been messing around with the Lannisters and with him again, but... <laughs> I keep I keep getting distracted a little bit and uh, I'm going to be distracted by there's no way that I don't buy into Martell's. There's no way. <laughs> <laughs> well, fantastic. Let's jump in here. So Dorn Martell, we're going to be talking about the Lord of the Sunspear. And that commander is uh, an interesting one in that it kind of almost goes back to sort of an old school vibe here in that you might think of him sort of as a NCU commander. So the way it works is that Dorn Martell, Lord of the Sunspear, is a five point NCU. And when you select him, you may choose him to be your commander. And if you do, your army has to include Ariohota, Captain of the Guard. So you take this NCU and you have to take this attachment, his Captain of the Guard, which goes in a unit of your choice. And that attachment counts as your battlefield commander for all gameplay purposes so himself as an ncu he's got an ability called proxy orders right so his his main thing here is that when he takes a zone uh, each time he claims a zone he can replace that zone's effect by choosing one either giving area hota's unit the ability to pivot and then perform a march action or to give area hota's unit uh, the ability to perform a retreat action. And backing all that up, he's going to have three tactics cards here. So first off, he's got False Agenda. And False Agenda is based on a trigger of when an, an enemy NCU activates. And you know when that NCU claims a zone this turn, after resolving that zone's effect, you may move that NCU to an unclaimed zone. And if you remove that NC NCU from the crown, target one enemy combat unit, and they gain a condition token. Uh, so we actually have this card from Tyrion, and it's incredibly useful with Tyrion. In particular, the swords and the wealth zone are very, very popular zones, like to start a round or at any point, really. Um, he's going to be very good for, they claim, the, they claim, excuse me, they claim the swords, they resolve the zone's effect. And then when you move that NCU off the swords, then you are able to claim the swords for yourself. So I see it as a very cool 
soft control piece, right? It's not super hard denial, but it's a very cool kind of trick play because you think that you're covering up the, the sword. You think that your opponent won't be able to get a free attack this round, and then suddenly they move you onto a different zone, and then you're able to claim the swords and just basically respond and attack them back with a free attack from the tactic zone. Um, I think it's a really cool card, and it's useful for Tyrion, so I imagine it's going to be very good for him as well. Seems like it'll be useful also just to get to uh, the kicker on some of the main tactics cards like Cunning Ploy, Dune Tactics, Unbowed, Unbent, and Broken, Ronus Vengeance. You know, if you need to get that extra ability on your tactics card by controlling a zone that your enemy's already claimed, like, all right, let's move people over one and uh, now it's yours. Yep. And this might tie in as well with Parlay. And I feel like Doran, as a commander, I think might speak to you tremendously because there's a lot of these, these vibes of uh, Tyrion that coming through here. So for Parlay, when a friendly combat unit activates, this uh, that unit cannot perform actions this turn. Target one enemy in short range, it activates but does not perform any actions. If this targets Area Hota's unit, you may both restore two wounds. So this is a fantastic uh, ability. So it shuts down your unit and the enemy's unit. And if it's Area Hota, you get to get healed, kind of throwing a wrench in some tactics and hopefully helping you trade up against higher pieces. Yeah, and with the amount of mobility Martels have, this, again, this is a card that uh, Davos Seaworth, Seaworth actually has. You don't see a lot of Davos, but for Baratheons, they're a little bit less mobile, so it can be hard to get within short range of that enemy that you want to shut down. I think Parlay for Martels is going to be substantially stronger because they'll be able to get into short range relatively easily. So they seem to be all about mobility. All of their units are pretty fast. Some of them are incredibly fast. So I see this card as actually being very good in the Martell faction. I think it's good for Baratheons. It's just a little bit harder to set up. Um, but if you can take a unit like your basic Spearmen and trade their activation for the activation of a unit like Blademen or like Night's Watch Ranger Hunters that, you know, have the potential to attack twice from their activation, you shut that down in exchange for your spears, and that's really, really good. <clears throat> said that. It seems like this is a faction that's going to have a, a real benefit to people that are really familiar with the game. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's similar to, you know, Tyrion when you, you played Tyrion the last version. The more you knew about their cards and what they could do, the more you could leverage his you know, global counterplot that he used to have. That's a different time, of course, but uh, to your point, yes. The more you know about every faction, the more you know about what they can do. I think the Martells are going to reward you. It's pretty much universal across all factions, but I think you'll see it emphasized in Mar Martells because of their ability to control when you know what your enemy wants to do and you know their key units by looking at their list, you can dissect and remove their like their king, their their queen pieces and their their rooks and things like that, and leave them with just the pawns, um, you know, because you see a lot of that in list building, uh, similar to chess. You've got some pieces that function as pawns, and then you've got your really big leverage pieces. So I think it's really really cool uh, to reward you for your knowledge of the game, and these guys seem like they'll do that. And then finally, we got right to act, which is just when a friendly NCU claims pawn zone, replace that zone's effect with. Each enemy combat unit becomes vulnerable, which, you know, I'll take it. That's a, that's a pretty good trade-off there. Yeah, that's a phenomenal card. You see something similar with Stannis's Will of the Run One True King, where he can replace the crown zone with placing one condition token of each type on a combat unit. This kind of kicks it up a notch. You don't have the variety, but the more combat units you have on the board, obviously, the more vulnerable tokens they're handing out. And it's at that point, you put out four or five vulnerable tokens. It's going to be pretty hard to manage those tokens and, and get rid of them. You know, Catelyn and the Khaleesi can only remove so many. So 
Uh, this comes off as a very strong card. And so, you know, right off the bat, then we have a commander that has, you know, in the form of parlay, an ability to, uh, or a taxes card to be able to trade a unit's activation for another activation. So if you're building a list with Dorn, chances are you're going to want to have Spearmen, right? You're going to want to have a cheap activation unit to use on this. Yeah, I think it's 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 going to be worth it universally, depending on the state of the game. But when we get to them, you'll see that the Spearmen are are just good. So I, I see most lists starting with one or two of the Spearmen. They're just a very strong, very useful five-point unit. So uh, it's going to be best if you can leverage that regular unit of Spearmen to cost them their activation. But even if you trade one of your more elite units to kind of strand their elite unit, because you know it can't activate, so it's going to have trouble getting out of a bad position, you can take advantage of that and, and strike when they're stuck in a spot. It's kind of similar to Corrin NCU, actually, hmm. where you can just kind of leave them stranded and they can't do much about it. That's an interesting point. For uh, Area Hota, then, so that's the battlefield presence you have. That attachment brings coordinated assault, which gives you, when you charge, plus one, plus one hit for each remaining rank in the unit. It gives furious charge. When they charge an enemy unit, they become vulnerable. And then due to the crown, each time the unit passes a morale test, it restores one wound. If you control the crown, it restores, it restores plus one wound. When we're looking at kind of placing a character like Area Hota in a unit... You know, what What are some things we want to be looking for here? That the additional damage on the charge is definitely going to be helpful. Getting the vulnerable token out. Does that kind of narrow us down to wanting to throw it in a unit like the Sunspear Dervishes? Uh, where would you start thinking about placing an attachment like this in, you know, a unit? Uh, he's probably going to be good in, in pretty much every unit. Um, given their mobility, given that they have Cunning Ploy, which is a tricky movement card. And then when we get around to him, you'll see what Dorn's NCU does. These guys are going to be able to get where they want to go, and they can get into a position to do the charging. Coordinated Assault is a powerful, powerful ability. I like him in the Dervishes or in the Spearmen. I don't think it really, I don't think there's a bad spot for him, though. This is a very powerful attachment, actually, looking at all of the abilities that he brings. Um, so let's see. You've got Coordinated Assault, which is currently, I think it's unique to the um, Baratheon pikemen at this point. Mm -hmm. Very powerful. Furious Charge, you see that in a lot of places. Gregor Clegane, Sandor Clegane, Victarion, Spearwives, even the Hardened Ranger. It's not super uncommon but making an opponent vulnerable when you charge is nice especially when you're dealing more automatic hits and then duty to the crown is barristan selmy the lord commander of the king guard king's guard i think is his title yeah that's duty to the crown is such a strong ability just on its own it's basically super dauntless right you pass a morale test any morale test and you're going to restore a wound <clears throat> And then there's a kicker that makes it even more potent. If you control the crown, you'll restore plus one wound. It is very, very strong. It makes a unit with this ability misleadingly difficult to shift because they've got, you know, if they're in a morale six, morale five unit, they're likely to be passing a lot of tests. And all the Martell units we have here are either six plus or five plus at the, in the launch between the Sand mm -hmm. Skirmishers, Sunspear Dervishes, Royal Guard, and Spearmen, I think only the Royal Guard are five plus. The other ones are all six plus, pretty decent. You know what? I'm gonna, this is probably treachery to say this when we're talking about the Martells, but you know where I would stick? Uh oh. Uh, where? Bolton Bastards Girls. Oh you're, my gosh. Yeah. You're, you're doubling down on the vulnerable token if you're using Charging Volley, but the shot, 
a panic test, charging in, dealing extra hits, and then they've got the five morale, which gives them some real survivability because oh. they should be passing most of their morale tests. So it's going to be really hard to shake those bastards, girls. And then on top of that, we've seen the ability to kick them off of a zone. So you're going to oh kick them. Gosh! Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, you're going to kick them off the swords, and then they're not expecting it. They get booted off the swords. Now you've got the swords open to charging volley. I feel like I need to take some sand skirmisher miniatures and put them in the back row to make them be like the archers. And what are some yep. cool like desert animals? Like, you know, so it'd be like coyotes or like uh, leopards or something. I don't know, leopards, but like yeah, you know, some, you, some desert animals. You've got it. Just put some, just put some coyotes in there and make it. There we go. <laughs> God, that's, oh, that's going to be a really strong combination there, actually. I like it. Maybe I'm gonna make a like what like fennec foxes or mere meerkats. Can anyone have miniatures of meerkats? <laughs> I want the bastard girls of meerkats. Oh gosh! All right, so we, we have a, we we have a unit here, and it, I feel like does it does like all roads eventually lead to the bastards girls? Is that like um just where things go? They're Michael Chanel's favorite unit. And, yes, for sure. Uh, he 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 keeps getting sad because he doesn't see them enough, so he keeps buffing them. If <laughs> people still aren't running them enough. So yeah, I all roads lead to bastard girls because they're a really good unit. <laughs> oh my god! Because I yeah, I was having a lot of fun uh, with the Targaryen list uh, with the Unsullied Officer, you know, before yep. the uh, yeah. Anyhow, good good times of that. Oh my gosh! Okay, so we're looking at bastards girls. So we're gonna add those into the faction too here, you know. And then you know we've got uh, if we wanted to, you know, then we have our our core units here that we could build out a list with. You know, what are your thoughts on, I mean, so I I, may, I know it was kind of an unfair question maybe to ask, but with Michael and Fabio, I wanted to get them in the last time we talked to kind of, if you had to pick one unit that's like the essential core unit of the faction, like what might it be? And they said, you know, hey, it's really hard to pick one from all three because they all kind of work together. But, I, you know, often in my mind, I look at things like Free Folk Raiders, Baratheon Wardens, Sworn Brothers, like uh stark uh sworn swords like as the kind of the base unit right they're like the cheapest the the five point unit or less um that's going to be kind of the core of your army um so i look at the martel spearman here as kind of being like the embodiment of the martel faction here you know so at five points they've got four plus to hit seven seven four as their attack profile five plus armor six plus morale they've got set for charge so they get to make their free melee attack and they're successfully charged from the front or flank and then they've got tactical reposition as their like kind of key Martelli ability here, where at the start of an enemy turn, target one friendly unit in short range, and they perform a three-inch shift. Um, I feel like this is really powerful and a really cool unit. Uh, what are some ways we should maybe be thinking about tactical reposition? Like, what makes this ability so powerful that people maybe don't want to sleep on? Oh, I think it's oh, it's such a powerful ability. Um, Tyrion has it, and. Uh, Rob Stark has it. I'm sure that it exists elsewhere, the Watch Marshal. At any rate, I love running Rob Stark when I play Starks. I run Rob Stark in Bowman because of tactical reposition. So the I think the strongest advantage, besides obviously shifting units to get them closer for a charge or to shift them out of enemy charge range, is with archers. Archers are very powerful in this version of the game because you have so many retribution attacks and so many things that start to compound on you when you're engaged. Uh, it can be really nice to stay disengaged with archers and shoot. So what archers can do is they can hang out like 14 inches away from enemy archers. They can shift up to shoot the enemy archers. Now at the start of the enemy turn, they're 12 inches away from those archers. You tactical reposition, 
shift them back three inches, and now the enemy archers can't shoot them back. Gotcha. So when you've got a bow-on-bow war, which ends up happening a lot, uh, whoever has tactical reposition is at a clear advantage in that fight. And they've got this as a basic ability. They don't have to buy, like, the special commander attachment, and they don't have to pay for the four-point watch marshal solo to get it. They can just bring the spearmen, who are already good on their own, and they're going to add a lot of shiftiness pun intended, to <laughs> to an already fast faction. So I see them as being very key, particularly if you're building your list around the Bastards girls we alluded to earlier. Yeah, I was just going to say, hmm, if only there were a ranged unit that would benefit from this that we could use. Yeah, because sadly, I, the, the, the Sand Skirmishers are short range, uh, but still a powerful yep. unit in their own right. Yep, yep. And I, I think you're going to see, you know, shifting up to be able to get to objectives early, and then some of the shenanigans that you can play with archers. If the Martells ever get a cavalry unit, giving them their cavalry move and charge distance plus three inches, essentially, really, really strong. Yeah. Oh, man. And the Spearman, uh, the Spearman at Captain, the one-point attachment that comes with this unit, uh, he's got the order Threaten, where you can target one enemy in long range and they become weakened. That's also helpful there too, right? If you know you're worried about your your bold ambassador girls diving in there, they're already going to go with the vulnerable token. They've got all the area hotel benefits. If you're worried about them getting punched back, maybe the unit that slingshotted them up there can also help uh, prevent them from getting whacked in the face too hard. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Weakened tokens tend to be of all of the tokens that you can get in this game. Weakened tokens seem to be about the hardest to come by. That's because in speaking with uh, Michael and hearing him on some of his podcasts, he believes that in this version of the game, weakened tokens are the most powerful. And it's hard to disagree because you have a lot of units that hit on fours. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of things like disrupt in the game. So weakened tokens kind of double down on some of those debuffs. And this guy as a generic one-point attachment bringing that weakened token is pretty good. Uh, these guys look relatively squishy. They're not super squishy because they have good morale but you're seeing you know five plus defense four plus defense and then six plus morale across the board i don't see any unit with three plus so those weakened tokens i think are very important for the martels it feels like and this is like first impressions here right i haven't had to push trays around on a table yet it feels like the uh, martels also can generate a fair number of tokens in their own right through abilities or tactics cards or things like that. So I'm interested to see for this one point unit being able to generate weakened tokens. Uh, does this become a, a, a faction where when you're facing it, you start to feel the oppressive weight of many, many tokens. But I guess yeah. it probably depends on how they build it. <laughs> yeah, I think I think uh, currently Baratheons are the token yeah, faction. That's true. <laughs> yeah, but, but Baratheons are slow and generally not super hard hitting. Um, Martells are fast. And they they can hit pretty hard. I'm so, actually most interested to see how Martell plays into Baratheons, maybe out of all the factions. But that being said, Sunspear Dervishes are another really powerful unit. They've got, this is your kind of dance around unit. They four plus to hit, seven, six, four attack profile, four plus armor, six plus morale. You know, of course, they've got their movement six, they're fast boys. And they've got their order swift retreat. They can make their retreat after an enemy completes a melee attack on them. They've got Dervish Blades, which give them precision. And when they are attacking an enemy that has not yet activated, their attack gets critical blow. And then finally, they have Elusive Escape, and they can reroll any retreat distant dice. Enemies that this unit disengages from may not pivot and become weakened. And they get coupled with their Dervish Captain, which is a two-point attachment uh, that scares 
me as a free folk player uh, with the order so discord where they get to target an enemy in long range and they've got to take a morale test with a negative one for each of the destroyed ranks and on a failure they lose all their abilities until the end of the round including things like insignificant and uh, they've also got disrupt so enemies engaged with this unit suffer negative one to hit oh i feel like two point attachments are you know often you get you got to have something to justify the, the cost there but oh boy that's going to be uh that's going to be a thing <laughs> that's yeah that's a solid two-pointer considering how rare so discord is we only see it from euron commander from mm -hmm. the Greyjoys. euron is a popular commander because of that ability given that martels have the ability to generate those panic tokens it becomes even stronger and then disrupt i think is ooh, pairing it with disrupt is really nasty i rate disrupt as one point on its own and i i, I rate so discord as a little bit more than one point so i think he's actually a bargain buy Anything with this level of hard control in the 2021 landscape is very, very good. So uh, I think he's a bargain at two points, actually. And the disrupt is some very, very much needed defense. And if you want to build like a budget build, you can stick him in the spearmen, and then there's seven points instead of eight. And then you've got kind of a, a piece that you can center around that's got the tactical reposition, some control, and then the um, disrupt will make up for some of the lack of defense that those guys have. You know, and I think the Sun Spear Dervishes, that's going to be a great piece moving around the battlefield. If people have experience playing other units that have uh, things like Elusive Escape and Swift Retreat, it'll be kind of no stranger to this unit. Yep. You see Elusive Escape on Brendan Tully Outrider Commander. Uh, my clubmate Hurley and I played them in the team event at Adepticon, and we were incredibly impressed with how good Elusive Escape is. We even had him in Tully Cavaliers who don't have the Swift Retreat order, but we were able to use retreats from the tactics boards, and that is a very, very, very strong ability. Uh, they don't get to pivot and they get weakened. It's as weird as it is because he was in Tully Cav. A lot of the time, Brendan just played Distraction and retreated, and hmm. it was totally worth it to keep their heavy hitter chasing down that unit. And I think Elusive Escape is a very strong ability. And so it leaves us with our last kind of two seven-point units in the in the core box here. We've got the Royal Guard, the Sunspear Royal Guard, that are, uh, they're kind of the, the tanky unit, relatively speaking, in the faction. So they are a movement five, so a little bit slower, three plus to hit on seven, seven, four, four plus armor, like the dervishes, I guess. So they're not the super tankiest, but five plus morale. So their morale is up one higher. And then they've got martial training. So when they're performing a melee attack before you roll attack dice, they can reroll any attack dice and the defender becomes vulnerable. And they've got the order shield wall. When an enemy performs a melee attack on the unit after rolling defense dice, if this unit is being attacked from the front or flank, it blocks plus one hit for each of its remaining ranks. So there's where it gets kind of its its toughness from the actual abilities, not necessarily from its its armor stat. Feels like kind of a key bunker unit there. You could throw some stuff in. Yep. And I, I really like this unit because it's it's my favorite when you have a unit that, that mixes offense and defense. You have something like that with Sir Robert Strong, who's very potent at dealing damage and blocking damage, but these guys are similar. So martial training is a very, very powerful order. It's more tokens. Getting rerolls with 7-7 seven, seven at the uh, full ranks and one rank down with a vulnerable token is very, very good. It's going to help them get through some armor. And then shield wall, obviously, is a very strong ability. A unit with four plus defense that has shield wall is much, much tankier than you would imagine particularly if you're throwing weakened tokens out. Um, it's very possible that even a unit of heavy cavalry, because shield wall happens after they roll defense dice, a weakened unit of heavy cavalry might charge these guys and still bounce. And that seems crazy to say, but the math checks out. 
So it's very possible. And there's also the Spear Lord attachment. He's a one point attachment and he provides boldness and courage to range and melee attacks. So each time this unit attacks, if he has full ranks, he gains plus one attack die. Otherwise he's treated having plus one rank for the attack dice. So I feel like that's kind of always a useful ability to have when you're getting this unit box, having that attachment uh, with the ranged ability on there as well. You could plop that in also your sand skirmishes, for example. Oh God, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's boldness and courage on a stick is really good. It's a very, very powerful ability because again, we keep referencing the 2021 landscape for some that might be newer listeners. The goal in 2021 was to reduce the reduce the prominence of abilities and things that give you additional attack dice. So when you see something that gives attack dice in the 2021 version of the game, it's it should definitely pique your interest because they're rare. Boldness and courage is just universally powerful. So you're taking these royal spears from 774 to 877, which is actually a really big deal. So <laughs> the least amount of dice they're going to throw is seven if they have the if they have boldness and courage on them. That's really powerful. But as you mentioned, he's good in these other units as well, particularly the below skirmishers, because they would go to 875, 875 which is... I love these sand skirmishers. I mean, yeah, that's really good. So the six movement on these sand skirmishers, three plus to hit on the base uh, range, short range with seven, five, four. And in melee, they're four plus to hit with their skirmishers blade at seven, five, four. Four plus armor, six plus morale. But really the key thing here, as you're kind of just referencing, they've got that order quick fire. After this unit completes a, a maneuver or retreat action, they perform one ranged attack action and they've got scout opening, start of a friendly turn, target one enemy in long range until the end of the turn. Friendly units attacks on that enemy may re-roll any attack dice and gain precision. Whew. Yes, it's like a Jorah, but better. <laughs> no, no. Sorry, sorry, scout opening. Um <laughs> Uh, we love Dora. He's he's wonderful. I, th I think people, if there's one unit that's being slept on in this whole box, it's this unit. I've heard some complaints, you know, that they're they're not worth seven points. They're not as good as Ranger Hunters. Like I see them very similar, actually, because again, referencing the basic deck, you have cunning ploy. You have ways for this unit to get around the table. We'll get more into that when we talk about Doran, uh, his NCU ability, and another possible place for his proxy commander to go. These guys look really nice with him because of what Doran does. But you've also got the maneuver zone on the tactics board that can give them essentially a move and a free shot, which often at movement six and quick fire, you're going to move six shift and then shoot you'll often end up in the flank of a unit which is very powerful in its own right and then scout openings is super super strong especially on a ranged attack if you're getting eight dice uh, from boldness and courage you're looking at eight dice on threes with rerolls and precision that's that's better than a lot of melee units can put out and this is off of just a maneuver and a free shot you know if you get the maneuver from a card or the tactics board excuse me the tactics board these guys are still able to charge in or just shoot you a second time. Uh, I think it's a really good unit. Man, I'm, this is, I'm looking forward to playing a, a bunch of Martells. You know, I really enjoyed the Greyjoy. I think they're awesome. I do feel like, you know, playing mostly free folk, when I started to play Greyjoy, like there was some sort of like similarities, not really, but like a little bit of swarminess at times. And I feel like this plays very differently. So I'm really excited to, to make that jump over to these guys play a bunch well you know so let's talk about uh we do also have one more attachment here we could talk about was Oberon martell the red viper so this is the two-point attachment he's got expert duelist now each time this unit performs a melee attack you get to do the infamous everyone's favorite you roll an attack die and you get to choose one this attack deals plus one wound or you target one infantry attachment in the defender's unit and roll a die on a three plus destroy that attachment and then he's got viper's fang 
uh, which when enemy uh, when attacking enemies that have not activated this round, the defender becomes vulnerable and weakened. You know that's uh, expert duelist love it or hate it is is a, a potent ability, and I think you know if anyone Oberyn it lives up to his kind of mystique as a character for sure. Yeah, no, these both feel very thematic. Um, the weakened and vulnerable when uh, enemies have not activated this round is basically like a one token better version of the mummers or the cutthroats right it's kind of them combined the mummers make you weakened if they attack you before you've activated the cutthroats make you vulnerable he does both um and it makes sense because it's over he should be yeah, and i feel like this kind of works well with cards like uh parlay where you're um you know shutting down opponent units and you're messing the order of operations that they may be ideally asp- ideally aspiring to in a round absolutely We've got some of these core units here and some of the basic attachments that you'll find in the starter set. Where do you think, you know, going down to Area Hota here, this, this, this the captain of the guard, you know, if you were going to play and you're going to sit down for your first game, you're going to just be having some fun with the, with the guys here. Where do you think you might throw Area Hota for the first game you play with them? For the first game that I play, I'm not going to bring out Bastards Group. Bastards Girls, because I'm going to try to learn the faction. I'm going to stick him in the Sand Skirmishers okay. because I know that Doran Martell can always replace his own with a pivot march or a retreat action. So I'm going to try to get my Skirmishers into flanks by pivoting and marching. And then I'm going to hope that I have the um, false agenda card to kick them off of the maneuver zone. And then I'm going to shift. I'm going to maneuver again, <laughs> shift and shoot, or I'm going to use Cunning Ploy. Or if he gets engaged, I'm going to use Doran to retreat and I'm going to get the free shot. So essentially, I'm going to put him in the skirmishes and I'm going to try to use Doran and his cards and the basic deck cards to make these skirmishers an absolute headache for everyone that I play. That's what I was thinking. I was wondering. Yeah, I feel like that's what I will probably try and do. At first, I was like, do I just put him in something I know lasts a little bit longer if I misplay like a Royal Guard or something? But that's the dream is to, to and I guess that's how you do it, right? You put it in a you keep practicing. And, uh, you know, I really want to have some fun with the the quicker style of play with the Martells. And uh, I think Sand Sermishers in a lot of ways embody all of that to me. I think you're going to be super impressed with uh, Duty to the Crown. And I think you're going to be impressed with Doran's Retreat because you're going to be able to retreat. And then when you if you activate charging in with the dervishes and you'll be able to use coordinated assault, I think it's going to be pretty impressive. I think you'll be surprised. There's a lot there's a lot here, the Martells, and it's fun looking at the way these interactions uh, play off each other. And one thing I've noticed is like as the, the, the game has evolved, we have five years of now experience and new changes and new factions. Um, the way the factions roll out is 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 different. It's been for for a little while now, where the starter set comes out and there's going to be immediately some units and a hero box, which opens up the possibilities even further. You know, one thing that can be kind of challenging about that sometimes is that when you buy a new faction, you're already starting off with like a lot of tools. And uh, you know, it was kind of fun in the beginning too. When it, you know, you buy your starter set, you get the one unit that was available. Yeah, that's I, I actually purchased like three spear wives at the launch of like uh, the free folk. And you basically <laughs> just had to you play with that limited toolbox. And like for the free folk, particularly, it was tough because you know you didn't have any neutrals you could bring in, but you just had to play with that and and you know make it work. Now you've got a lot of other options. It can be a little bit overwhelming. Does anything come to mind? Like what's something that a new player, if someone's just getting into the game and they're looking at the Martells as like a starting faction? Um, do you know? There's like, do you think that there's anything that maybe they might not know enough about the game to like consider or to ask or to 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 be thinking about when they pick up this faction? I think if you're playing a faction that's not um, that's not free folk, the neutrals hero boxes are always a good choice to pick up. Uh, they they broaden your NCU choices substantially, and 
they've just got some really cool stuff in those boxes that might end up meshing with your faction. So one attachment from a neutrals hero box isn't for every army, but it might be a super good tech piece for your army. So I would suggest, you know, besides obviously buying your own house hero boxes as soon as they become available, I would go ahead and look into buying neutral heroes one and neutral heroes two, just because it's never a bad choice to have more choices. Do you think, you know, one thing I often uh, get asked a lot is how many units should I get? You know, a lot of people coming over, especially from like, you know, the old FFG games or like, you know, X-Wing or Star Wars Legion, or I guess now that's technically Atomic Mass games, but you, you need you need to buy two starter sets to be able to play it. And I feel like looking at my shelf here, I feel like I typically end up with like two of most things, three in some rare instances, but like that's maybe overkill at times. You know, for here, some people I know were talking about like Martell Spearman spam at five points. I'm not exactly entirely sold on that. Do you see, you know, any of these units that are being released, um, things that you'd want to get doubles of or triples of? You know, actually, interestingly, I think that this core box comes really, really balanced. Um, I'm assuming it comes with two spearmen or is it just yep. one? Two spearmen. two spearmen. I don't necessarily think you need to duplicate. I think if you try to run like two of the skirmishers, it's probably too much. Uh, that's a that's a focus key unit that you want to you know just have one of and put a bunch of resources into. Right. I think if you try to double up on them, you're going to run out of resources to make them make them tick. No, I think just probably out of the box they're pretty playable. And then again, you can look at something like uh, Bastards Girls if you like infantry. If you if you think you're missing cavalry, you might look for some Zorse who with the Martell's shiftiness, I think the Zorse will be really strong and they'll be able to hit those flanks and get their bonuses. Or you could opt for Flademen if you wanted to add some three plus defense that they seem to be lacking. But as, as far as the Martells go, I don't think you need two, two starter boxes. And I don't think you really need to double down on anything that's in there. Maybe Fantastic. just kind of, kind of wait to see if they get uh, any other cool techie units. Well, and then the last thing here. So you are known for having some very nicely painted miniatures. You've had some fantastic Lannisters in the past. You've you had your Night's Watch with some cool basing. Any uh, thoughts on how you're going to paint these guys up or any cool ideas for basing? Um, hmm. I think you've got some really cool options to do some like uh like architecture for them because again I'm not like a book fluff all I have is the show and it just seemed like it just seemed like a paradise where where they were living so I yeah. think I want to incorporate some structures if I was doing their bases that being um, said, I will say that sort of did did the, the Martell plot dirty a little bit. It was very truncated, but visually, yes, very amazing. Uh, we didn't even get to talk about like the water gardens and things like that. That's a, maybe a future thing. But yeah, there could be some cool architecture. Yeah. I, I've been tempted to want to do something with like sand dunes, but I'm not exactly sure how to do like kind of the rolling hill, like in the rolling dune sort of look and and have it really work. But if anyone has ideas out there, please share pictures because uh, inquiring yeah. minds. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the uh, the Vallejo actually they have some really really nice like you just take it out of the box or you take it out of the container and just brush it on and it's like it's got your adhesion and your texture and I know for a fact that they have some sand texture and it's actually really user friendly. You basically just like paste it on there and it'll blend to itself pretty nicely. So you might give that a shake. But I yeah I could definitely see doing some like palm trees and some oasis 
I, I like water. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I like the way water looks on bases. So you could build like a, a desert oasis there. And I think it'd be really, really cool. And then as far as the color scheme, I think you want to, if you're doing like a sandy, light brown base, I think you want some bright, vibrant colors that pop. It looks like from the art, they're mostly like a cream color. And I see some reds and a few highlights of other colors. I don't necessarily stick to what is like canon paint job, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but I think you could, if you're doing desert, some some blues would look really, really nice. You could do some uh, vibrant greens, but you could stick to the reds. I think if you did like reds and, and some yellows, like some muted yellows, it would look really good. That's what you're seeing on the box. And I think all of those would look really nice. But I would probably personally do some some blue. <laughs> Fantastic. And, uh, you know, we've got, uh, we'll start wrap things up here, but over on my vacation, I'm one of those weirdos. I go on vacation. Like the main thing I end up doing is like a reading. So I read a few books. I got to read Fire and Blood, uh, which is the Targaryen history, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years before Game of Thrones took place. So I'm actually kind of excited now for the Game of Thrones show coming out at the end of August. Is that something you're going to be watching? Oh, of course. Absolutely. Oh, boy. Yeah, All right. Awesome. Well, we yeah. might have to touch base with you about that and do some off the table talk about the show. Uh, oh, of course. The, the book was fantastic. And so now I'm like, oh, this is this might be like this might be a really good show. So hopefully I get some people also excited about Song of Ice and Fire the Miniatures game. Maybe we'll see some people doing some historical adaptations or something, uh, switching timelines. Yeah, sounds awesome. Well, you know, thank you so much for for coming and talking to us, uh, Rhett. And, uh, you know, yeah, I can't wait to hear what you think about the Martells when you get them on the table. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually really eager to. It's definitely exciting for me. I, wa I want to see what I can do to make these light armored factions work. And if you're listening to this podcast, you can head on to our Facebook group or check us out on YouTube. We also post the podcast on there. And feel free to leave some comments, uh, notes, maybe things that we missed or suggestions or questions you have about the Martell faction coming up here, how you're going to get the most out of it. And in the meantime, hope you get your miniatures on the table. <laughs>